Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Interstellar. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to give it something socially responsible to do. Can't we just let it go? This thing needs to learn how to adapt, Murph. Again, let's mask up. Like the rest of us. This world's a treasure. It's been telling us to leave for a while now. Your daughter's generation will be the last to survive on Earth. You're the best pilot we ever had. Get out there and save the world. Everybody ready to say goodbye to our solar system? To our galaxy. Here we go. We're here. down fast, don't we? Actually, we want to get there in one piece. Hang on. We have a mission. Our mission does not work if the people on Earth are dead by the time we pull it off. Well, we got this far, farther than any human in history. Oh, not far enough. Make it count. Where's the mountains? Those aren't mountains. They're waves. I'm not gonna make it! Yes, you are. Yes, you are! You might have to decide between seeing your children again and the future of the human race. We'll find a way. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Interstellar, and the story is as follows. In Earth's future, a global crop blight and second dust bowl are slowly rendering the planet uninhabitable. Professor Brandt, a brilliant NASA physicist, is working on plans to save mankind by transporting Earth's population to a new home via a wormhole. But first... Brand must send former NASA pilot Cooper and a team of researchers through the wormhole and across the galaxy to find out which of three planets could be mankind's new home. The film is starring Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain, Bill Irwin, Ellen Burstyn, and Michael Caine. It is written and directed by Christopher Nolan, co-written by Jonathan Nolan. Here to join me for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Nicole Ackman. There is a moment 
Matt Damon explodes. Dan Bayer. Hello, I'm Dr. Dan Bayer. Is your film suffering from unexpected Matt Damon? I can't help. <laughs> Jesus Christ, guys. <laughs> okay, I watched this movie not knowing that Matt Damon was in it, and so when he rolled up, that was the most shocking thing to me. A lot of people uh, did not know this. They uh, hid that successfully from the film's marketing when it came out in 2014, but now... Okay, but- how did they hide it from me for six years? <laughs> well, it's easy explanation than you think, I would say. Um, here we are six years later talking about Christopher Nolan's film Interstellar. I tried, everybody. I tried so hard to time the release of this uh, review for the 2014 retrospective with the release of Tenet. But COVID-19 did not want me to have my way. And still, Interstellar was on the schedule. It is happening. We are talking about it now. It's a movie that's been talked to death over the last six years. Lots of criticism has been thrown at this film, but also lots of praise, too. I would actually go so far as to say it might even be the most polarizing of Christopher Nolan's films that he has ever made in terms of the passionate discussions that it has inspired within people on both sides of the argument. So... It is time for us to dive into a conversation about space and time. Josh Parm, you have been waiting for this review for a very, very, very long time, uh, probably even before uh, we began our 2014 retrospective. Probably back when I said that we're going to do a 2015 retrospective, Josh thought, next year we will do Interstellar. I know it. (laughs) I know we will get to it eventually. Well, here we are. So, sir, the floor is yours. Tell me why you love Interstellar. Well, before I even do that, I I will say that it's not like I am blind to people's kind of general criticisms of this movie. I want to be clear about that. I understand why this is a very polarizing film, and I understand why people find things that they don't like about it. It is kind of this very big, overly ambitious movie that, at times does seem like it is a bit ungainly and a little bit too big for itself. But at the same time, those are sort of the elements that I actually do love about it. Still. I like that this movie is very big and it is ambitious and it wears its emotions down on its sleeve, which is something that you cannot say about too many other Christopher Nolan films. And that emotion I find so stirring within it and gets me just so completely drawn into the plight of these characters in a way that I have never really been from other Nolan films. And I just find that to be so engrossing. I also think that these performances are incredible. I think uh, particularly McConaughey, I think this is the best performance of McConaughey's career, in my opinion. And yeah, there are a couple places where I will admit that it does suffer from some pacing issues, But overall, I still find it to be a movie that is ambitious, but also at the same time just really draws me into the storytelling. And to this day, it remains my favorite Christopher Nolan film. Okay. All right. Let's move over now to Nicole. First time viewing of Interstellar. Uh, Nicole, how are you doing wrapping your mind around Christopher Nolan's sci-fi epic? Well, I will start by being fair and saying that sci-fi movies and space travel movies are not my thing so I like don't think I was ever going to love this film it would have had to really really wow me for me to 
like actually love it. So it's probably not that surprising that I was pretty meh on it. Um, I really liked the more emotional parts of it. Like I actually found everything to do with the family aspects really engaging, but it is so long and it doesn't feel like a film that earns its length to me. Um, like I, I really felt like I felt the length while watching it. And so that definitely turned me off of it. It also, I will say is the kind of film that if you missed seeing it in the theater, I think you probably missed like the experience. At least that's how I felt like seeing it on a TV screen. Um, or certainly like if you watched it on your laptop or something is just not the same as I'm sure it would have been in like a proper cinema. And Lord knows Christopher Nolan does not want that to happen with his movies ever. <laughs> yeah. And you can see why, like it's, it's a film that's meant to, you know, be on a big screen. It's meant to have a big impact. Um, Cause I think some movies can live equally well on a small screen and in a cinema I don't think this is one that does. Okay. All right. Dan Bear, what about you? Okay. So I think that I cannot agree with Josh that this is the um, my favorite or the best Christopher Nolan film. I do, however, think it is the most Christopher Nolan film um, in that this is the movie that takes sort of everything that he – likes to do and puts it all together. And, but the thing that bothers me about that is that it's very, it strikes me as very self-conscious about that. It's very self, I can't even call it ambitious. To me, it's just grandiose. Everything that it is doing, it is doing on the biggest scale it can possibly do it. And in moments, I think that comes off um, really well and really impressively. But in other moments, it just comes across as pompous. And I, I mean, if that isn't Christopher Nolan in, you know, one sentence, I, I, I don't know what it is. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, in the lead up to this movie, uh, I'd only seen it twice. I had seen it in the movie theater, and I'd seen it once at home uh, when the Blu-ray came out. I rewatched it uh, pretty much right away as soon as that came out. I haven't seen it since then. And I 
kind of has to disagree ever so slightly with you, Dan, that it's the most Christopher Nolan film, just only because I think that this movie does have something that a lot of other Christopher Nolan films lack, and that and it is that emotional core element. And <laughs> th- this movie, to me, is the most that I've ever felt Nolan like really, really trying to get at our hearts, which is something that I don't think many of his other films really do. I would I would say like Inception might be probably like the movie I would single out as like the most Christopher Nolan type of Christopher Nolan film because it does combine a lot of the stuff that he is known for where Interstellar leans so heavily on its emotion to the point where people have criticized the movie for how much it talks about how, oh, well, love transcends space and time and so on and so forth. And, you know, people kind of like just chalk that up to, oh, how hokey and how silly is that? You know, I have to admit, when I first saw the movie, I was so taken aback by it and perplexed. And it was not anything at all that I expected it to be at the time of its release. And I definitely had a lot of criticisms about it. I still do have criticism, but I think I like the movie more. I don't know if that has something to do with age. I don't know if that's something to do with the themes of the movie indeed resonating with me. Or maybe I'm just really, you know, excited by some of the filmmaking that's on display and some of the visuals. And, you know, I I find it to be a full course meal at the end of the day as far as a movie goes, you know, because like you said, it has a lot to offer. And to Nicole's point, if you're not really into that sort of thing, then it can feel overbearing and overwhelming. And it's just like a lot to get to the meat and bones of it all. Right. Which is ultimately how does the movie make us feel? And there are a lot of people who feel very, very strongly about this movie. When I ask people all the time, what's their favorite Christopher Nolan film? Interstellar gets mentioned a lot because it makes people feel things where a lot of his other movies are action blockbusters that are exciting. They get the heart pumping, the adrenaline going. This movie has moments like that. But out of all of his movies, this is the one that makes them feel the most. And I think that that's a connection that would override any other flaws to Josh's point that he recognizes, but he's not going to hold it against the movie in that regard. Yeah, well, I, I, I want to be... hold it against the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I do want to be clear about this. Like, I do understand why people have issues with this film, and I think a lot of that for me even is more towards the beginning of the film, where I think it does take a little bit too long to kind of get really going. I'm still invested in the characters and all that but i will admit that i think it does take its time in that build-up but once we get oh the first hour of this movie is by far the worst i mean yeah i mean i would say maybe like the first 30 minutes or so i wouldn't call it the first hour for me well okay fine the first uh act of this movie is the worst second act when they actually uh get up into space and they start exploring the planets i think is pretty pretty good and then the third act, I think everybody's range will vary. <laughs> yeah, I think the I, third act is your mileage will vary greatly on that. I actually, it's funny because I enjoyed the first act of this movie much more than the second act. I was so bored once they got to the planets. Um, but I was like actually pretty emotionally engaged in the first act. And then it kind of lost me a bit. Well, I think the first act does a really great job in terms of the world building and really setting the stage for 
uh, the current state of the planet, right? And how it's going through this like second dust bowl. There's dirt, and, uh, dirt uh, I can't speak, dirt and dust everywhere. Yeah. Um, it provides for some very neat uh, visuals and some really, really cool cinematography as well by Hoyt Van Hoytema um, in some of those farm sequences that I think looks really, really stunning. I, I just think that there's a lot of time that's spent like chasing the drone through the cornfield and that scene when he goes to visit like the teachers and they're talking about Murph and like the textbooks and how they're, you know, out of date and stuff. It's like, come on, come on, come on, come on already, which makes it all the more like incredible to me that uh, the minute that Cooper decides to leave the farm and go on the mission uh, next thing you know, we're blasting right off. We're already going up in the space. There's no training or anything else in between, you know, to get him ready for the mission. He just goes. And then the end of the movie, uh, I don't really want to jump to the end right away, but I will come back to it, I promise. But the end of the movie just kind of ends. <laughs> and it feels like there is almost like another 30 minutes or so in this movie that was supposed to be there. <laughs> I you know? despise the last two minutes of this movie so much oh, we're gonna get into it but i would rather start at the beginning and work away to the end if that's okay <laughs> sure let's not let's not black hole absolutely. it dan let's not start at the end and some at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> absolutely let's start at the beginning and let's begin by saying the first act of this movie hits real different in 2020 than it did in 2014 okay <laughs> oh ain't that the truth now what do you mean by that exactly I mean, like, back then, it was kind of like the earth has turned on them and there's dirt and grandma in the air and they got to wear the masks and, you know, screens and goggles and all this stuff. And, okay, like, it, whatever. The world is changing, blah, blah, blah. And now it's like, yep, 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 that all feels about right. <laughs> like, that feels like, okay, that could go on my 2020 bingo card. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that feels like that's just around the corner. Like the earth turning to acid and turning on us. Like that sounds like it's just about to happen. Could happen in another couple months. But I think that I think I do think that Nolan is getting at something here in regards to how we seem so oblivious to wanting to actually save the earth that our leaders and people in power are going to just let this happen. Uh, because of their blindness to the fact that the earth is not forever. It is going to end at some point. Yeah. Like that is happening as we speak. And yeah. I think it's weird to see it in a film and see it on such a like high level. But I feel like watching it, I was very cognizant of the fact that like, yeah, we could get to that sort of situation within my lifetime. And the whole thing Absolutely. bring the past with mm -hmm. the space mission, the, the Apollo missions and everything and like, sweeping it under the rug is propaganda and stuff and like oh yeah yep yeah i can see that happening yep it feels it feels more real than it did watching in the 2014 where it felt more like a science fiction conceit and then there's this idea of wonder right this idea of uh there's that line we used to look up at the sky and wonder uh at our place in the stars and now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt <sighs> you know that this idea that we're not no longer like innovating as a species anymore we're no longer pushing for something greater for for milestones that will push mankind forward anymore um that's not something that it feels like that we're just doing 
I hate the dialogue in this movie so much. I, I will admit that, that there is dialogue in this that is so super on the nose. And like, yes, moments like that. Gee, like, yeah. hear, hear me out. It's so unnaturalistic. I totally, totally understand that. I think the movie has better fiends than it does actual person to person dialogue. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that to a point, though. I think there are moments where, yeah, the dialogue does feel a little stiff. For the most part, for me, I don't have that much of an issue with it. In fact, there's even, I don't know, there's even some parts where I think the there's like some quips in it that I think are pretty funny. And I know that there's oh, a particular yeah. speech about love that we'll probably get to that I'm going to have a hell of a time trying to defend to you guys, but I'll do my best. <laughs> you don't have to defend it. I want to just say really quickly on this note, though, that most of the sarcastic, funny lines in this movie... I never more than chuckled from a robot. <laughs> and I know people that say that Tars is their favorite character in this movie yes. for exactly that reason. He is the best character in this movie. <laughs> See, there you go. But I, none of the humor. I don't think I, I just don't think no, uh, Nolan's strong suit is humor. I, I've never believed that it was. And it definitely does, is not true here. <laughs> well, I mean, humor is subjective. If something didn't make you laugh, there's nothing I can really say about that. You know, well, I think Nolan's humor levels at like a 50 as opposed to a 95. That's all I'm saying there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but in talking about like some of the dialogue in the very, very beginning to set things up, you know, we get mention of the ghost we get mention about murphy's law and whatever is going to happen was always like meant to happen um this idea of how we need to learn how to adapt um you know the dialogue is so so on the nose but at the same time i i think nolan does do a really good job of tying stuff from the beginning and somehow making it you know we're not i don't want to say making it make sense but bringing it back in the end, he he has a knack for that. He always does that in most of his movies. And I appreciate that when any screenwriter does that. But it is so obvious here. It's so obvious. It is obvious from the very first second. Uh, I want to ask Nicole. I want to ask Nicole because this was her first viewing. Nicole, when you saw the title of the film Interstellar and it was over the bookshelf, did your brain say that bookshelf is important? That bookshelf's going to come back later? And like when the connection was made in the third act with the bookshelf, did you think back, oh, yeah, all those moments with the dust and, you know, the Morse code and so on and so forth? Or had you completely forgotten about it? I mean, it definitely didn't happen like as soon as I saw it. But I think by the time that he is leaving and so much has happened with the bookshelf, I was kind of at a point where I was like, I hope that's important because otherwise we just wasted a lot of time. Um. <laughs> hey, everyone. Sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full review of the 2014 film Interstellar here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full over two hour long review of this epic Christopher Nolan film, you will have to head on over to Patreon where for $1 minimum a month, you will get the rest of this review and other exclusive exciting content from nextbestpicture.com. 
You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, SoundCloud, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. If you leave us a comment, rate us five stars, it really does help us out a lot to get discovered. So we really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.